Chapter One of To London Town. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. To London Town by Arthur Morrison. Chapter Number One. The afternoon had slumbered in the sun, but now the August air freshened with an awakening breath and epping thick stirred and whispered through a myriad leaves far away beyond the heaving green woods distant clouds floated flat on the upper air and a richer gold grew over the hills as the day went westward this way and that between and about trees and undergrowth an indistinct path went straggling by easy grades to the lower ground by wormleton pits an errant path whose every bend gave choice of green passes toward banks of heather and bracken it was by this way that an old man and a crippled child had reached the pits he was a small old man white-haired and a trifle bent but he went his way with a sturdy tread satchel at side and butterfly net in hand as for the child she too went sturdily enough but she hung from a crutch by the right shoulder and she moved with a jog and a swing the hand that gripped the crutch gripped also a little bunch of meadowsweet, and the other clasped tight against her pinafore a tattered old book that would else have fallen to pieces. Once on the heathery slade, the old man lifted the strap over his head and put the satchel down by a tree clump at the wood's edge. Now the rest for you, Bess, he said, as he knelt to open his bag. I'm going o'er the pits pretty close today. He packed his pockets with pill-boxes, a poison bottle, and a battered flat tin case, while the child, with a quick rejection of the crutch, sat and watched. The old man stood, slapped one pocket after another, and then, with a playful sweep of the net gauze across the child's face, tramped off among the heather. "'Good luck, Grandad,' she cried after him, and settled on her elbow to read. The book needed a careful separation, being open at back as at front, Likewise, great heed lest the leaves fall into confusion, for, since they were worn into a shape more oval than rectangular, the page numbers had gone, and in places corners of text had gone too. But the main body of the matter, thumbed and rubbed, stood good for many a score more readings, and the story was the Sicilian romance. Round about the pits and across the farther ground of Genesis Slade, the old man pushed his chase now letting himself cautiously down the side of a pit, now stealing softly among bracken with outstretched net, and again running his best through the wiry heather, always working toward sun and wind, and often standing watchfully still, his eye alert for a fluttering spot amid the flood of color about him. Meantime, the little cripple conned again the familiar periods of the old romance, few indeed of its ragged leaves but might have been replaced if lost from pure memory few indeed for that matter of the pilgrim's progress or of susan hopley or of the scottish chiefs worn volumes all in her grandfather's little shelf of a dozen or fifteen books so that now because of old acquaintance the tale was best enjoyed with many pauses pauses filled with the smell of the meadow sweet and with the fantasy that abode in the woods for the jangle of a herd-bell was the clank of a knight's armour the distant boom of a great gun at waltham abbey told of the downfall of enchanted castles 
and in the sudden plaint of an errant cow she heard the growling of an ogre in the forest the western hillsides grew more glorious and the sunlight peeping under heavy boughs flung along the sward gilt the tree-boles whose shadows veined it and lit nooks under bushes where the wake-robin raised its scarlet mace of berries the old man had dropped his net and for a while had been searching the herbage it was late in the day for butterflies but fox-moth caterpillars were plenty among the heather as well as others thus bessie read and dreamed and her grandfather rummaged the bushes till the sunlight was gathered up from the turf under the trees and lifted from the tallest spire among the agrimony as the sun went beyond the hilltops then at last the old man returned to his satchel the flies ain't much he observed as bessie looked up but for trade it's best not to miss anything it's always what you're shortest of as sells and the blues was out late to-day but i've got luck with caterpillars if they go all right i ought to have a box full of rosy marbled out of these rosy marbled it's a late brood then and so long since you had any two year and this is the only place for em the old man packed his bag and slung it across his back we'll see about tea now he added as the child rose on her crutch but we'll keep open eyes as we go over the slade they took their way where the purple carpet was patterned with round hollows black with heather ash and green with star moss by the edges of the old gravel pits overhung with bramble and bush and so into more woods a jay flew up before them scolding angrily now and again a gap among the trees let through red light from beyond woodredon again and again the old man checked his walk sometimes but to drop once more into his even tramp sometimes to stop and sometimes to beat the undergrowth and to shake branches to any who saw there was always a vaguely familiar quality in old may's walk ever a patient plod and burden or not ever an odd suggestion of something carried over shoulder matters made plain when it was learned that the old man had been forty years a postman presently as they walked they heard shrieks guffaws and a discordant singing that half smothered the whine of a concertina the noise was the louder as they went and when they came where the white of a dusty road backed the tree stems they heard it at its fullest across the way was an inn and by its side a space of open ground whereon some threescore bean feasters sported at large many were busy at kiss in the ring some waved branches torn from trees others stood up empty bottles and flung more bottles at them they stood sat ran lay and rolled but each made noise of some sort and most drank plainly donkey riding had palled for a man and a boy had gathered their half dozen donkeys together and were driving them off the people were londoners as bessie knew for she had often seen others she had forgotten london herself all of it but a large drab room with a row of little beds like her own each bed with a board on it for toys and this too she would have forgotten for she was very little indeed then but that a large and terrible gentleman had come every day and hurt her bad leg it was the shadwell hospital but these were londoners and bessie was a little afraid of them and conceived london to be a very merry and noisy place very badly broken everywhere by reason of the londoners other people also came in wagonettes and were a little quieter and less gloriously bedecked she had seen such a party earlier in the day 
Perhaps they were not real Londoners, but folk from parts adjoining. But these, these were Londoners proper, wearing each other's hats with paper wreaths on them. Well, old one, bawled one, as the old man net in hand crossed toward the wood opposite. Been catching tiddlers. And he turned to his companions with a burst of laughter and a jerk of the thumb. Dear Bill, here's old grandfather catching tiddlers. Why don't you keep him out of mischief? And every flushed face, doubly reddened by the setting sun, turned and opened its mouth in a guffaw. You'll cop it for getting your trousers wet, screamed a woman, and somebody flung a lump of crust. Betsy jogged the faster into the wood, and in its shadow her grandfather, smiling doubtfully, said, They like their jokes, some of them, don't they? But it's always tiddlers. It grew dusk under the trees, and the sky was pale above. They came to where the ground fell away in a glen that was almost a trench, and a brook ran in the ultimate furrow. On the opposing hill a broad green ride stood like a wall before them, a deep moss of trees clinging at each side. Here they turned, and where the glen widened, a cottage was to be seen on sloping ground, with a narrow roadway a little beyond it, a whitewashed cottage so small that there seemed scarce a score of tiles on its roof one of the few scattered habitations holding its place in the forest by right of ancient settlement a little tumult of garden tumbled about the cottage a jostle of cabbages lavender onions wallflowers and hollyhock confined as with difficulty by a precarious fence patched with wood in every form of manufacture and in every stage of decay i expect mother and johnny finished tea long ago bessie remarked her eyes fixed on the cottage. Why, there's a light. The path they went by grew bare of grass as it neared the cottage, and as they trod it, men's voices could be heard from within, and a woman's laughter. Sounds like visitors, the old man exclaimed. That's odd. I wonder who... There you are, then, father, came a female voice from the door. Here's Uncle Isaac and a gentleman come to see us. It was Bessie's mother who spoke, a pleasant, fresh, active woman in a print dress, who stood in the doorway as the old man set back the gate. The door opened into the living room, where sat two men while a boy of fourteen squeezed, abashed, and a trifle sulky in a corner. There was the smell of bad cigar, which had almost but not quite banished the wanted smell of the room, a smell in some degree due to camphor, though perhaps more to caterpillar, for the walls were hidden behind boxes and drawers of divers shapes and sizes, and before the window and in unexpected places on the floor stood other boxes covered with muslin nurseries for larvae pupae and doomed butterflies and so many were these that the room itself a mere box gave scant space to the three people and the little round table that were in it wherefore bessie's mother remained in the doorway and uncle isaac when he rose took a very tall hat from the floor and clapped it on his head for lack of other safe place, for the little table sustained a load of cups and saucers. Uncle Isaac was a small man, though with a large face, a face fringed about with gray wisp of whisker, and characterized by wide and glassy eyes and a great tract of shaven upper lip. "'Good evening, Mr. May, good evening,' said Uncle Isaac, shaking hands with the air, of a man faithful to a friend and defiance of the world. This is my friend, Mr. Butson. Mr. Butson was a tall, rather handsome man of forty or thereabouts, with 
curly hair and whiskers, and he greeted the old man with grum condescension. Mr. Butson, Uncle Isaac continued with a wave of the hand, is a gentleman at present in connection with the steamboat profession, though above it by family and inclination. Mr. Butson and me has been taken a day's holiday with a select party by name of Beanfest in Brakes. Oh, yes, responded old May, divesting himself of his bag. We passed some of them by the dun cow, and very merry they was, too, with concertinas and kiss in the ring and what not. Very gay. Oh, damn no, growled the distinguished Butson, not that little lot. He means that coster crowd and vans, he added, for uncle isaac's enlightenment i ain't fell as low as that lor no he sucked savagely at the butt of his cigar found it extinct looked vainly for somewhere to fling it and at last dropped it into a teacup no mr may no not them lot uncle isaac said with a touch of grave reproach as man of some little property myself and in company of mr butson by nature genteel disposed i should be far from mixing with such we come down with the shipwrights and engineers from Lawsonsis. That was probably Mr. May's little joke, Mr. Butson. Mr. May is a man of property himself, besides a man of science, as I think I told you, this here land and residence being in pint. If any man was to come and say to Mr. May, get out of that property, Mr. May, what would the law say to that man? Null avoid. That's what the law it would said. Get out yourself. Your claim's null avoid uncle isaac checking a solemn thump at the table just in time to save the teacups took his hat off instead and put it on again mr butson grunted ah and mrs may taking the net squeezed in with bessie behind her i'll put a few of these boxes on the stairs and make more room she said the kettle's still boiling in the back house and i'll make some more tea bessie had a habit of shyness in presence of strangers and uncle isaac ranked as one for it was two years at least since he had been there before indeed what she remembered of him then made her the shire for he had harangued her very loudly on the gratitude she owed her grandfather calling her a cripple very often in course of his argument and sometimes a burden she knew that she was a cripple and a burden but to be held tightly by the arm and told so by a gentleman with such a loud voice and such large eyes as uncle isaac somehow inclined her to cry so now as soon as might be she joined her brother and the two retreated into the shadowy corner between the stairfoot and the back house door the old butterfly hunter too was shy in his more elderly way beyond his widowed daughter-in-law and her two children he had scarce an acquaintance or at least none more familiar than the naturalists in london to whom he sold his specimens so that now in presence of this very genteel mr butson who he feared was already disgusted at the humble character of the establishment he made but a hollow meal a half-forgotten notion afflicted him that it was proper to drink tea in only one of two possible ways but whether from the cup or from the saucer he could not resolve himself mr butson had finished his tea so that his example was lacking though indeed the lees in his saucer seemed to offer a hint a hint soon triumphantly confirmed by uncle isaac who was nothing averse from a supplementary cup and who emptied it straight away into his saucer and gulped it ardently glaring fearfully over the edge whereat his host drank from the saucer also and 
took heed to remember for the future still he was uncomfortable and a little later he almost blushed at detecting himself inhospitably grateful for signs that mr butson began to tire of the visit meanwhile he modestly contributed little to the conversation no said mr butson gloomily after a long pause and in reply to nothing in particular i ain't a man of property i wish i was if people got what they was brought up to but there he stuck his hands lower in his pockets and savagely regarded vacancy mr butson's uncle said uncle isaac is a mayor a mayor and his other relations is of equal aristocracy but he won't have nothing to say of them not a word it's just blood pride or breeding but what i say it may be proper self-respect but it ain't proper self-justice it ain't self-justice in my way of putting it why he won't even name em won't name em mr may won't he the old man answered rather tamely dear dear mr butson laid his head back jerked his chin and snorted at scorn at the ceiling no won't as much as name em such is a lofty contempt otherwise what would be my path of duty my path of duty on behalf of self-justice to mr butson would be to see him and put a pint of argument ere i puts it it's him and ere is me ere is mr Henry butson your very dutiful relation of fashionable instincts and a engineer than which none better though much above it and unsuitably enchained by worldly circumstances in the engine-room of a penny steamer here mr butson snorted again likewise here is me a elderly man of some small property and a shipwright of practical experience them circumstances being the case consequently what more natural and proper than a partnership with capital that ow i'd put the pint a partnership with capital just so said old may and seeing that the other still paused he added of course but he's proud proud said uncle isaac shaking his head plaintively perhaps i'm proud mr butson admitted candidly i suppose i got my faults but i wouldn't take a penny from em not if they was to beg me on their knees why i'd sooner be beholden to strangers ah that you would sighed uncle isaac but it ain't self-justice no it ain't self-justice it's self-respect anyhow said mr butson sullenly if they like to treat me unnatural let em ah observed uncle isaac some families is unnatural and some is natural and there's a deal of difference between em look at mr may now he ain't altogether in my family though my niece is father-in-law by marriage but what naturalness his son was an engineer in your trade mr butson fitter at maidments he's left my niece a widder consequence a coat-tail and a cog-wheel what does mr may do why he shows his naturalist he brings he brings her and her children down here on his free old residence and consequently ere they are look at that was a principle with uncle isaac to neglect no opportunity at reciting at large the excellences of any person of the smallest importance with whom you might be acquainted or the excellences with that person might be supposed to desire credit for if in his actual presence so much the better nothing could be cheaper and on the whole it paid very well at worst it advertised an amiable character and there remained off chances of personal benefit 
moreover the practice solidified uncle isaac's reputation among his acquaintances for here quoth each in his turn was plainly a man of sagacious discernment the old postman however was merely uneasy to his mind it was nothing but a matter of course that when his son died the widow and children should come under his own roof and it was as a matter of course that he had brought them there but bessie's mother said simply yes granddad's been a good one to us always she as well as the children called him granddad yes proceeded uncle isaac and im with as much to think about as a man of education too wonderful why there's nothing as he don't know in astronomy and and in insectonomy no think no not astronomy interjected old may a little startled by both counts of the imputation not astronomy mr mundy i say yes answered uncle isaac with an emphatic slap on his knee modesty under a bushel's all very well mr may all very well but i know i know astronomy and medica medica and all the other classics i know ah, i give best part of my small property such as it is for half your education mr may it was generally agreed in the family that uncle isaac was very close as to this small property of his nothing could induce him to speak of it with any particularity of detail and opinions varied as to its characters still whatever it was it sufficed to gain uncle isaac much deference and consideration the more probably because of its mysterious character a deference and a consideration which uncle isaac could stimulate from time to time by cloudy allusions to altering his will well observed mr butson rising from his chair education never done me much good no unfortunately commented uncle isaac man i prefer property myself mr butson made toward the door and uncle isaac prepared to follow at this moment a harsh female voice suddenly screamed from the darkness without lor i almost fell over a blessed house it said and there was a shrill laugh we'll ask him the way back old may stepped over the threshold at the sound but the magnificence was stricken from the face of mr butson his cheeks paled his mouth and eyes opened together and he shrank back even toward the stairfoot nobody marked him however but the children for attention was directed without cheer which way to the dun cow see the lane answered the old postman follow that to the right and you'll come to it it's a bit farther than through the wood but you can't go wrong right there were two women and a man the screaming woman said something to the others in a quiet tone in which however the word tiddlers was plain to hear and there was a laugh good night old chap she bawled back put him in a jam pot with a bit of water crease full of their games remarked the old man with a tolerant smile as he turned toward the door that was the person as said i'd catch it for getting my clothes wet as we came past the dun cow the voices of the bean festers abated and ceased and now mr butson left no doubt of his readiness to depart come he said with chapfallen briskness we'll have to get back to the others they'll be going he took leave with so much less dignity and so much more haste than accorded with his earlier manner that mr may was a trifle puzzled though he soon forgot it good night mr may i wish you good night said uncle isaac shaking hands impressively i have greatly enjoyed your flow of conversation mr may 
He made after the impatient Butson, stopped halfway to the gate, and called gently, Nan. Yes, Uncle, Mrs. May replied, stepping out to him. What is it? Uncle Isaac whispered gravely in her ear, and she returned and whispered to the old man. Of course, certainly, he said, looking mightily concerned as he re-entered the cottage. Mrs. May reached a cracked cup from a shelf, and turning over a few coppers, elicited a half-crown. With this she returned to Uncle Isaac. I'll make a note of it, said Uncle Isaac, as he pocketed the money, and send a postal order. Oh, don't trouble about that, Uncle Isaac, for Uncle Isaac, with the small property, must not be offended in a matter of a half-crown. What, trouble, he ejaculated, deeply pained, to pay my ear. Come on, growled Mr. Butson, savagely from the outer gloom. Come on, and they went together, taking the lane in the direction opposite to that lately used by the noisy woman. Well, old May observed, we don't often have visitors, and I was glad to see your Uncle Isaac, Nan, and Mr. Butson, too, he added, impartially. Yes, returned Bessie's mother, innocently. Such a gentleman, isn't he? There's one thing I forgot, the old man said suddenly. I might have asked them to take a drop of beer before they went. They had some while they was waiting for tea, and I don't think there's much left. She dragged a large tapped jar from under the breeding box at the window, and it was empty. Ah, was all the old man's comment, as he surveyed the jar thoughtfully. Presently he turned into the back house and emerged with a tin pot and a brush. I'm a-going treacling a bit, he said. Come, Johnny. The boy pulled his cap from his pocket, fetched a lantern, and was straightway ready, while Bessie sat to her belated tea. The last pale light lay in the west, and the evening offered up an oblation of sweet smells. All things that feed by night were out, and nests were silent save for once and again a sleepy twitter. Every moment another star peeped, and then one more. The boy and the old man walked up the slope among the trees, pausing now at one, now at another, to daub the bark with the mixture of rum and treacle that was in the pot. It's always best to be careful when you treacle when there's holiday folk about, said Johnny's grandfather. They don't understand it. Once I've treacled a log or a stump and found a couple sitting on it when I came back, with new dresses and such. It's no good explaining. They think it's all done for practical joking. It's best to go on and take no notice. I've heard him say, don't the country smell lovely? Meaning the smell of the rum and treacle they was sitting on. But when they find it, lore the language i have heard awful the boy was quiet almost all the round grandad do you really like that likeness i made of mother like it my boy why of course it's a knobby picture uncle isaac said it was bad oh there was a thoughtful pause while they tramped toward the next tree that's only uncle isaac's little game johnny you mustn't mind that it's a knobby picture I don't believe Uncle Isaac knows anything about it, said the boy vehemently. I think he's ignorant. Here, Johnny, Johnny, cried his grandfather. That won't do, you know. Not at all. You mustn't say things like that. Well, that's what I think, Grandad. And I know he says things wrong. When he came before, he said that ship I drew was bad, and I, I very near cried. He did cry, but that was in secret, and not to be confessed. 
but now johnny went on i'm fourteen and i know better i don't believe uncle isaac knows a bit about things they had come again to the tree first treacle and leaving the pot and brush at its foot the old man by help of the lantern took certain of the moss that had been attracted from this he carried the lantern to the next tree in the round and then to the next filling the intervals between his moth captures with successive chapters of a mild and rather vague lecture on respect for elders it was dark night now and the sky all adust with the stars the old man and the boy took their way more by use than by sight amid the spectral presences of the trees whose infinite whisperings filled the sharpening air they emerged on high ground whence could be seen here the lights of Loughton, and there the lights of woodford and others more distant in the flatter country here the night wind swept up lustily from essex and away from far on the robin hood road came a rumble and a murmur and presently the glare of hand lights red and green the sign and token of homing bean festers chapter one